Happy birthday, America. Thank you for joining us this weekend at Rockbridge Community Church. Uh, my name is Mark. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, Dalton is my location as the campus pastor. And it's uh, a privilege to be able to, to uh, bring uh, the message this weekend. I want to say hello to uh, Tim in Hickson, to uh, Sam there in Cleveland, to Alfred there in Chatsworth, to um, Alan in Ringgold and uh, Carl in Calhoun. Those are my brothers. They're your campus pastors. I'm here at Dalton. And just thank you so much for uh, joining us this weekend. Through the summer, we're doing this Dangerous Prayers um, dangerous prayer series. I'm excited about what God is going to teach us today and help us be connected more to life in Christ as we move through this series this summer. Uh, we wanted to do just kind of a little bit because most of you guys don't know me and introduce ourselves. This is my wife, uh, Cheryl. It's a great picture. You can see that uh, she is definitely my better ha half and I outpunted my coverage. She's a missionary. She travels all around the world. Just love her and love the, what she does. We've been married 27 years. I cannot believe it. Thanks. That's, that's more a clap for her than me. Um, trust me. And uh, no kids, uh, no biological kids of our own because of medical issues. I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, but we spoil your kids. We love doing that. Uh, and our kids are perfect. They make straight A's. They're always home on time. It's incredible uh, what happens there. But Father's Day, Cheryl got me a great, great present because I am a cat dad. Okay? So this is Miss Ivy Jane, and I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, she wouldn't let me wear the shirt to church to just Dalton campus, so I just decided to show every campus that I am a cat dad, and I'm proud of Ivy Jane. We have a blast. If you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. She's my best friend, and you need to be best, best friends with your spouse. But today, I want to talk about dangerous prayers. And Matt, in, in part five of dangerous prayers, he, he talked to us about that great verse in 2 Chronicles 7:14, and he brought us a message that said, ask for more of the Holy Spirit. I hope that you're doing that. I have done that this week, and trust me, I'm more connected to Christ this week than I ever have been, and I'm growing in Christ. I'm growing in Christ through this series. But if we break this passage down, I want to show you something. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves. Now look at the pronouns in this verse. My people humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their, their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Of course, God is the focus of this passage. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. The gospel is the greatest story ever told. But this is a popular verse that's probably being uh, read a lot this weekend as we talk about July the 4th in our country and everything that's involved in our country. But I want us, as we took a, a macro look at this verse last week, I want us to kind of narrow it down and bullseye in on the personal pronoun, because every time we say the church, every time we say, if my people, if their wickedness, their, for, I will heal for heaven, you, you hear there, I want us to focus in on the, the micro of you and how important you are in making this promise happen. So we have a tendency to focus on the world. Oh gosh, the world's terrible. Oh, this is horrible. Is it they, them? The, and we have a tendency to focus on the country and the state and the community and the church and the home. And then it's kind of you. Okay, okay. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. 
It's the world's fault. It's the country's fault. It's the state's fault. It's the community's fault. Church ain't like it used to be. It's a home. I mean, devastation in the home. And then, you know, I sin a little bit. I'm okay. I'm okay. I want to show you biblically, show you biblically, not my opinion. I'll show you biblically how important you are in your relationship with Jesus. You've been connected intimately with him in a relationship where you have a conversation, which we're calling dangerous prayers. Pray until we pray. It's more than a moment. It's a movement where you continue praying to Jesus and aligning yourself with him. It's very, very important because you make up a home. And when you're right and aligned with Jesus, guess what? The home at its worst needs you at its best. All right? Don't be pointing fingers at everybody else. Focus on yourself. And Jesus wants to change you. He want, probably wants to change some other people in your house, but he don't need your help doing it. All right? That job's not available. You, you can't do that. There, God, God's got enough worrying about you, and you've got enough worrying about you to, to change your home. And, and the church at its worst needs a home at its best. So you make up the home. The home makes up the church. The church makes up the community. Community at its worst needs the church at its best. The state needs communities. The country needs states. And the world needs godly countries. All right? So we come back to state, community, church, home, you. So that's why we call this thing dangerous prayers. Because... You are the catalyst for in that verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if you got your Bible and you're opening that thing up, at the end it says, I will heal their land. If you are right, if you are aligned with Jesus, if you repent, if you humble yourselves. So we cannot just look at this thing in a macro view at the big, big picture from 30,000 feet and say, God, do this. We've got to take a micro view of our heart and ourselves. And I'm afraid a lot of us are sitting around, not participating, not having a conversation with God. And it's not dangerous prayers. And we're wanting things to change. But the change starts in my heart, not my me doing better. But me taking up my cross daily and following Jesus, me aligning myself to the biblical Jesus. I want to reemphasize that the biblical Jesus, not some Jesus I've created, but some the Jesus revealed to me from the Bible, not a Jesus of a denomination, not a Jesus of some movement, the biblical Jesus. Jesus, I have got to step up underneath him and where I'm not Christ-like like him, I need to say, God, it's me. It's not everybody else. It's not everyone else. And so line up underneath him. And that's what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at what we need to do, what we need to do. Every single person under the sound of my voice, not we as an organization, we as a country, we as a state, but we as individuals empowered by Jesus Here's what we need to do. So safe prayers equal cutie prayers. I kind of, that's my cutie, it's a word. Um, so cutie prayers. If you're at Cracker Barrel or somewhere and you're at the table and across the table from you, some four-year-old prays, God, God, our father, you know, what, wait a minute, wait a minute. Praise uh, the prayer, the prayer for the eat. Uh, good Lord, good 
uh, I start to say, good Lord, good meat, good Lord to seat. Um, they, pray, <laughs> they pray the prayer. They pray the prayer. Uh, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. We all go, oh, that's cute. That's really cute. I mean, that's awesome. And then like bedtime, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Those are cute prayers. You should teach your kids those prayers. But as adults, we shouldn't pray just cute little rote, rote, rote routine prayers. Our prayers should be relational prayers connected to Jesus and who Jesus is, and we align our prayers to his plan and his will for our lives. We shouldn't just do religious prayers. In cute, cute prayers, we shouldn't do that. So we need to pray dangerous prayers. And here's the thing about dangerous prayers. They're not cutie. They're not cute. They're cutting. They're cutting. And they're hurt. And we don't want to pray them. You know, God break me. That is, that, that's a dangerous prayer. God, God send me. That's a dangerous prayer. And we're going to look at a prayer that David prayed because it's not a new problem. So David was king of Israel. And he got away from God big time in his life. He fell away by having an affair, had a man killed, and he came back to God. God says he's a man after his own heart and led faithfully Israel. He, Jesus comes from his lineage. And so he did that. He, was, he, he got close to God and then got out of alignment with God and started focusing on the country and the 30,000-foot view and all this stuff and got away from God. But he comes back quickly, and we're going to read Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24, where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. He says, Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Now, there's four requests in these two verses. And we're going to unpack these requests. We're going to unpack these two verses and apply them to our lives. So that's what I would like to ask you to do and join me in doing as we try to get you right. We try to get us aligned back right with Jesus Christ. Number one request is ask God to align your heart. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Request number one, I'm going to ask God to align my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. So he's saying, God, search me. Don't search my country. Search me, God. And he says, God, he addresses Yahweh. He addresses God here. And this is the God of the Bible. Not some God, God that you created. See, because I can have my life where I want it, and I can get any God I want to get and create a Jesus that's here, and that Jesus, I pull him over here to me and align my life with him. No, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. That's cute. That's cute if you do that. But we, it's going to cut. If I have to move and rip and tear my background, my experiences, my biases, my personality, i got to die to every single bit of that and pull it up. It's going to hurt and get underneath Jesus. And there's joy, 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 and peace and protection under there that you will never believe you could have. You said, that don't sound fun. It's not fun. It's dangerous. But when you get there, and you get drugged through there. In my life, I get drugged through the center of God's will and aligning with Jesus. It's great. It's incredible. And so this God is all-knowing. 
This God is all powerful. This God, this God is unchanging. It's, it's God. It's the God, God, the creator of heavens and earth and everything therein. That God, God, you, that God of the Bible, search me, God, and know my heart. Know my heart. Why is he asking that? Because the heart not aligned with Jesus should not be trusted. Your heart not aligned with Jesus should not be trusted. It's the furthest thing away from biblical commands and what God wants you to be. Then it's, it's incredible how far away it is from God. So your heart is born out of alignment. You didn't get that way. You're born that way. You're born a sinner. And I, I know that's like a cutting. That's hard to hear. You don't hear that much in this society. But you are born a sinner. I knew I wouldn't get a lot of amens out of that. But it's true. That little, that little kid at the table that's four years old that's so cute. Oh, that's a cute pr- He's a sinner to the core. Not because he sinned. He, became, he, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't a sinner because he sinned. He was born that way. You don't have to teach a kid to lie. You don't have to teach a kid to cheat. You don't have to teach a kid to be violent. It's, they're sinners. They need, the heart needs to be guided. It needs to be, it's, it's led by something. You can't lead it. So I've got to come underneath the alignment of God because I was born that way. So Jeremiah 17 and 19, the prophet, he's, he agrees with this, says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. You think of ugly things and deceitful things. The heart is... It's above everything else. It's uncurable. Who can understand it? Rhetorical question. And he's prophesying about the coming Messiah, the one that's going to cure, the gospel story, the story of Jesus Christ that takes our hearts, transplants them with a heart of righteousness and aligns us back up with God. That's why I get so excited when I sing these songs and when I talk about the gospel. He cured us, but we've got to line up underneath who he is. So don't, 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 don't follow your heart. It is not in alignment with Jesus. If your heart is not in line with Jesus, don't follow it. So Cheryl and I, I like to take her shopping places really nice, like uh, TJ Maxx. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's, it's really nice. Not, no, no, all the, but the best, all the best for Cheryl. And so we're looking at uh, portraits and paintings for, for our apartment. And there's two college girls over there. I guess they're in college. They're, they're getting stuff for their dorm room. And so they're picking out, they have a theme. They, oh, we love this theme. It's about your heart and follow your heart. And oh, your heart's so good. And it's incredible. It's, oh, cute. You know, it's great. No, it's not. It's not. There's little signs that say follow your heart, you know. If it's out of alignment with Jesus, do not follow your heart. And we say, men, we know the Bible says that, but on the way home, somebody will text us and say, oh gosh, I got to make a decision. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. No, don't do that. You need a daily heart alignment. Your heart needs daily alignment with Jesus. Not a one-time alignment. That one-time alignment is called salvation. You need that. It it's, saves you from the penalty of sin. That's a whole other message. But a daily alignment saves you from the power of sin. When you die to yourself every single day and you align with Jesus Christ, you're saved from the power of sin. Okay? And then one day, we're going to go to heaven. Everybody in this room 
A hundred years from now, you'll attend my funeral, I'll attend your funeral sometime in that. I don't, again, I'm telling you, it's a cutting message. You're going to die. Happy Fourth of July. You're, you're going to pass away, okay? And then we're, we, as Christians, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. So penalty of sin, power of sin, presence of sin. We're in the power of sin right now. And so every single day, Jesus says, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So the cross was not a jewelry ornament you put around your neck or a, something we adorn in churches. It, it, it was something that was cruel as a method of execution. And they knew what taking up the cross every day meant. So he's saying every single day that heart of stone needs to be ripped out and replaced with a heart of righteousness. So Jesus, I get out of alignment with you because I'm a sinner. I was born that way. And so I'm coming to you, Jesus. You know the most about me. Mark Honeycutt, he knows the most about Mark Honeycutt, but loves me the most of anybody in this world. I tried to figure out how to explain that. I can't. It's called the gospel. It's incredible. When you give that heart to Jesus every single day, say, I'm dying to myself, and God transplant a heart of righteousness in this old boy in my heart, and, and get up and start walking with him with a new heart. And you'll have to repeat that every single day because it gets out of alignment with who he is. That's why we do a time with God. That's why we want you to have a time with God every single day of your life. And so we do five days of scripture based on the weekend message that you can get up or you can come home from work and that you can read and align your heart. If you're not taking advantage of this, I would encourage you to. I'd encourage you to. I promise you it will help you. It'll help you. It's cutting, doesn't feel good, but it will help you. Now, there are some devotionals out there that, you know, zippity-doo-dah, you know, I mean, woohoo. I mean, you'll feel good. But th these are scriptures, this straight scripture, you take it and you say, God, where am I out of alignment? I want to get in alignment. And it, it's just really, really good. And here's what I would do. If I was uh, leading a home and, or a single mom or had friends, I would take notes of every message I heard here at Rockbridge. And I would, I would jot them down. And then I would say to myself, God, what do you want me to do as a result of the truth I just heard? Not the speaker I just heard, but the truth that from the Bible that I just heard strain through that speaker's life. What do you want me to do about it? And listen, listen to the Holy Spirit and write that one thing down. And every day ask for his empowerment to do that. Whatever it is, whatever it is. And then your family uh, on Sunday afternoon, on the car ride home, as you're watching uh, Sunday night baseball, as you're eating an egg sandwich on Sunday night, that's our tradition at the Honeycutt House is egg sandwiches. And so white bread and egg sandwich with cheese. Mm. And so, so as you're doing that, just have everybody pause. Have everybody, hey, whoa, come, gather here, gather. What, what, what was your takeaway today? You know what mine was, guys? It was this. And all week I'm gonna try to work on this. Or it could be, hey, I didn't really get, Holy Spirit didn't say anything to me today. Say anything to y'all and just, and just do it and just listen and just talk and have a conversation. And then the next day say, hey, there's this, there's this like time with God. I'm going to get a text. It's going to have a scripture. And I read it this morning or tonight. And let's, let's just talk about that scripture. And what did it say to you? 
what the Holy Ghost tell you to do based on the truth from this weekend? What it, what's fueling your, your change and your growth and your alignment there? And I promise you, the enemy is going to try everything in his power to keep you from doing that as a family and in your home. And it seems like there's two groups. I, I'm just being honest with you. There's a group that like has a bookcase full of Bible books and, and cycle, Bible encyclopedias, and you do like 15 devotions a day with your family and read a chapter and memorize a chapter a week, and you're like, ah, we're gonna we're gonna grow our family. And then there's the people that just don't do anything. There's not a lot of in between. I, just start daily rhythm of righteousness in your home, in your life, and let the Bible and the Holy Spirit transform you. That's what we need. That's what we need. So request number two, ask God to test your concerns, to test your concerns. So the Bible says, it goes on in 20, verse 23, test me and know my concerns. So David isn't getting defensive here. Okay, I want you to get that. He is not getting defensive. He's not saying, okay, God, there ain't no sin in my life. You test me. No, he's saying, God, I'm self-aware. There's blind spots in my life. I think I'm aligned, but God, you show me. You, you search me. You, you throw the spotlight on my life and know my concerns. God, I am a king of a country. I have some concerns. But Lord, sometimes those concerns bleed over to anxiety, which anxiety is based on worry, not concerns, and it's not where God wants you to be. So, so God, if I'm anxious about something, show me, show me. So you're a mom, you're a single parent, you're you know, recovering from addiction, you're, you're in high school with all the stuff that goes on with that. God, I got some concerns, test me, Show me my concerns, and God, where I drift in anxiety, show me how to get back to concerns instead of anxiety. So God, sub-prayers you can pray, burn away my anxieties. Lord, it's, so David's using a term here that was used as a blacksmithing term in his day with metal and swords and the impurities, and Lord, test me, put me through the refiner's fire as I would put this sword through the refiner's fire. And so you got to say, God, show me in my life where there's anxious thoughts, not just concerns, but test me in those things. Okay, so I'd ask, like to ask a question, what makes you anxious? What is it? And anxiety is a pandemic in America. It, the, the, the medication taken for that, the people that have anxiety, mental stuff that goes on, it's, it's like one in four is the latest statistics said. People have it. But it's something we don't talk about. Something they don't want anybody to know, including God. So talk to him about it. And say, God, help me here. I'm not aligned with you in this situation. And so you might be thinking, you know, what do you have to be anxious about, Mark? What's going on in your life? I mean, you, you don't have no kids and got a cat and I mean, what's eat egg sandwiches? I mean, what's what you got to be anxious about? Um, two weeks before I was graduated high school, I was diagnosed with leukemia. It's cancer of the blood, cumulogenous leukemia. And so I went to Seattle, Washington to have a bone marrow transplant, which is really a last result. And so I was on the edge of peds. I was 18. And so there were eight families with little kids and 
one guy about 17 that, that entered into this protocol for a 100-day post-transplant uh, situation. So there's a room, eight, eight rooms in a hallway, laminar airflow rooms, like a bubble. So I was in there, and they started radiation and chemo. So my mom and dad sat in a waiting room with all these other families. It was a nice waiting room. And then two weeks into the protocol, they came and told the first family that they lost a kid. Uh, so there were seven families. That happened up until two weeks before the 100 days was with up, and there was just two families left. And my mom can tell the story better than I can, but the doctor turned and came down the hall and started walking towards the door, opened the door and went to the other family and said, you know, your, 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 your child's passed away. And so I walked out of that room, the only person to walk out. And so I have survivor's anxiety, which basically in my life, I have to put more energy and effort into strategically, intentionally loving God than I do loving the effort and energy of ministry. And that plays itself out in some weird ways in my life with my passion and loving paper and projects more than people and trying to trying to pay God back and some other things. So I, every time I have a cold or something, I get anxious about it. Am I going to have cancer again? I mean, it's just, I have some anxious thoughts. So I have to say, God, test me and, and weigh my concerns. And whether it's, when am I going to get married? What about my grandkids? All this diagnosis, whatever it is for you, ask God to, text, te, to test you and ask what makes you anxious. Because what we are most anxious about is where we trust God the least. And we give ourselves credit. No, I should worry about my kids. No, you should be concerned. But don't do worry, because as it turns into anxiety, which is not trusting God the least there. Okay, so pray first and receive God's peace and protection. Pray first and receive God's peace and protection. So this great God that we're talking about, search me, O God, that David prays, this great God that we're talking about, I think it offends him and it doesn't honor him. Uh, when we go to a counselor, the pastor, uh, try this beet juice, something, I don't know, try different stuff, and then we all, we, at the end of it, none of that works, we go, oh, I guess we ought to pray. No, pray first. No matter what the situation is, Pray first and experience God's peace and protection. Paul would say, hey, this is what we need to do. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So pray with thanksgiving, and you will be protected, and you're going to, he's going to provide for you peace, and it's a peace that's absolutely incredible that you experienced from him. And so that's what we need to do first. Now, here's what I want you to do. Uh, in your mind, it's an exercise. In your mind, take out a piece of paper. Make it eight and a half by 11. Does it have little lines? I don't want your piece of paper. Take it out. On the front side of that piece of paper, I want you to write your concerns that could turn into anxious thoughts. Okay, write them all down. I'm, you may need another piece of paper, so grab it. You write it on. And then now on the back side of the paper, I want you to write down everything that Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says that you're supposed to be anxious about. Don't worry about anything. Anything. 
nothing. Trust God. Search me, oh God. Trust the God, the biblical God. Trust God and who he is. Request number three. So then ask God to point out your sins. See if there's any offensive way in me. Some translations say idolatrous ways, wicked ways in me. God, throw the spotlight and see if there's anything that I have forgotten. Reveal to me just how much of a sinner I am. Paul would say, the writer of the New Testament, 13 books of the New Testament, would say amen here. And he would say in 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. In other words, if you're hearing this, you need to trust it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Save sinners. And I am the worst of them. See, what can happen is we start coming to church and we sit down, we look around, we go, huh, I'm, I'm pretty good compared to these guys. You've done that probably today. You look down the road and go, hmm, I'm pretty good. But see, we're not comparing ourselves to other people. We're comparing ourselves to Jesus. That's who you compare yourself to. And the depth of that depravity raises the height of worship in my life. To realize that I need Jesus, that I'm I'm a sinner to the core. If Paul, I would say one of the greatest Christians ever walked this earth, says, I am the worst of them compared to Jesus. We ought to say, I'm the worst compared to Jesus. And First John 1, 8 says, good news, uh, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So you can, you're not going to win that battle, biblically, because you're a sinner. You say you don't have sin, yeah. compare yourself to Jesus. So turn the spotlight on my sin, three sub-prayers, agree with God about my sin, and then confess the revealed sin and be right. That's what those two verses talk about. So don't argue it. Don't try to research it, Google it. Do they agree? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to join a domination that agrees with my sin. No, it's not about that. It's about you, you and Jesus, you and your relationship with him. And confession is basically agreeing with God about sin. Here's what your Bible says, God. Here's who Jesus is. I had a model. And it's not Christ-like what I'm doing. It's, not, it's my personality, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to be me. I'm just going to be me. I'll, I'll be me. I'll do me and you do you. You heard that lately? That's stupid. That's a dumb saying too. That's not biblical. It's not. You, so it, God, my personality, my attitude, Lord, it's not you. It's not like you. And I confess it. I'm not going to try to move you and line up underneath that. God, I'm moving because it's not like you. And so confess it and reveal the revealed sin and be right. He's going to cleanse you right then on the spot, and you can live that way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you got to confess. you got to say, Jesus, it's sin. You've shown it to me. It's sin. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. <laughs> this is where it gets, that, hold on a minute. And pray for one another that so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So you need to confess, 
You need to confess privately. You need to confess publicly. Any activity in my life, any ambition that I have, any goal that's going on that's not lining up with your kingdom goal, God, any attitude that I have, attitude that you have, any affection that I love more than you, God, I need to confess it. I need to confess it. And this little activity I do in my time with God that kind of can bring light. If I'm reading scripture, sometimes scripture reveals this in my life, and I ask God about this uh, in my life. So confession to God is equals forgiveness immediately. Confession to people equals healing. Equals healing. And you're like, hmm. So I will have couples come to my office. I appreciate you coming. I want you to come. Let's have a conversation about you connecting life in Christ. And they'll say, we've been um, having problems for the last seven years. Are you in a small group? Oh, great small group. Been in it 10 years. Do they know about this problem? No. Why? So, so you've not confessed this attitude where you are and what's going on in your marriage. Whew. Uh-uh. uh-uh. You know, that's where dangerous prayers, cutting it's, I mean, it can be cute to be in a small group and grill hamburgers, woo, cute. But get in there and have conversations. And be the type of small group where you can have confidentiality and this can go on. And you bring healing. So you can do it, you can bring absolute forgiveness with God and be right with God, but be totally wrong with each other because you haven't confessed it to people. And I'm not saying stand up right now and confess it. Get with a group, get in a group, and confess that sin, and you can find healing in your life. Request number four, ask God to lead you. Ask God to lead you. So the last part of Psalms 24, 139, 24 says, lead me in the everlasting way. So your heart is not made for you to lead your heart. Your, your heart is made to follow. And your heart is made to follow things that are not earthly, Things that are not short, temporal, but things that last forever and eternity. That's what your heart's made to do. And so we need to understand when Jesus says in Matthew 34 through 34, 13 through 14, enter through the narrow gate, Jesus says to his disciples. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many people who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. So the broad road that Jesus is talking about here. Is it cute or is it cutting? It's kind of cute. You don't have to pray dangerous prayers. You pray safe prayers. The narrow road is difficult. What you're going to have to pray dangerous prayers and you're going to have to pray prayers that cut and you're going to have to get in line with Jesus. And you're going to have to say, God, lead me. I cannot lead myself. And this is a humbling prayer of dependence that you're praying to God. So David's request reveals just total dependence upon God. And when you pray that way, it will reveal total dependence upon God. And that's what we have to have as we follow him. As you give Jesus a steering wheel of your life 
and you constantly crucify your old dead heart and align it with Jesus and he gives you a new heart because of the gospel and because of what he did. He's the hero of this story. He's the hero of your prayers. He is the answer to your problems. And so ask God to align your heart. Ask God to test your concerns. Ask God to point out your sins. Ask God to lead you in ways of everlasting. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for what we're learning about praying dangerous prayers. Thank you, God, that you're connecting people to, to life in Jesus because of the conversations that they're having with you. Because, God, they've gotten away from religious routine and from, God, repeating things. But, God, they're having deep conversations and intimate conversations with you. And God, thank you for making that possible through your death, burial, and resurrection. God, for dying in our place because we're sinners, you can't have anything to do with sin. And Jesus came to take our place. And God, thank you so much that God, you are connecting us together through Jesus and through the gospel. And God, help us not to waste that, but God, have conversations that will make us our best selves. God, as we're aligned with you and following you, God, please empower every single person in this room. And if there's someone that this, we're asking taking a next step, need to, take a, need to take a first step in asking you to be their, their savior, the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life, help them to do that right now. And it's in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen.